So you may have seen Paul Stansby on our channel, and it was through Paul Stansby's channel that we found Carl Scott. And not only is he an amazing speaker, he also is on a mission, five years of anti-knife crime. And if you go back and look at his story on Paul's channel and what we're going to be covering today, we're talking gangs, um, murders, uh, his best mate dies in his arms. He himself has been attacked savagely. And if you do notice him, cross his legs, not in the American fashion, but in the European fashion. <laughs> <laughs> it's because of the uh, injuries, isn't it? Yeah. The injuries, yeah. yeah. He's got to do that every now and then to ease the discomfort down there. So, yeah. Thank you for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me on. <laughs> so, yeah, let's yeah. back to the start, as we always do. Uh, where were you born? Uh, born and bred Nottingham. Nottingham? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, rough town, city, um, council estate. Uh, it was it was rough growing up for for me. I mean, my my mum, she was quite young when she had me. Um, I think it was about sixteen when my mum had me, and my dad was a couple of years older than her. Um, living, moving around here, there, and everywhere. A lot of domestic stuff going on for between my mum and my dad. Um, he was a bit of a gambler. He liked, he liked going in the bookies quite a lot and um, just basically leading my mum down the wrong path, really. So, yeah, that was... How did your parents meet? Um, do you know what? I don't even know. <laughs> um, no, I don't actually know. Actually, no, I'll tell a lie. There was a, there was an occasion. My mum went into... Back in the day, you know, when you're, you're, you're younger, you could go into pubs at an early age, you know, like, and years ago, like, you could even, you could get served if you, if you're, if you're dad. Yeah. <laughs> and it, or if your dad or your granddad knew the owner of the pub, they'll be like, yeah, they'll, they'll yeah. serve you, you know. And I, I, the first, I don't think it was, the, I don't know if it was the first time, but she met my dad. She did see my dad in a pub. I think it was called the Horse and Jockey. Like, everyone will know who that, where that is when they watch, but it was in there. But I don't know if it was the first time. So, what's your earliest memories? So, uh, earliest memories of childhood growing up. In your entire life, yeah, your first memories that you think. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, well, my earliest memory, trauma-wise, I was about two. Um, there was a domestic incident happened. We lived in a block of flats, and it was quite high. Um, and there was a domestic incident that went on in my in my mum's flat. Um, and my dad was kicking off with my mum. He was running around the house with a Stanley knife and, he, you know, threatening her and stuff. And I was crying, obviously, in the house. I'm, obviously, I don't remember the crying, but, like, but there's things that I remember from that. And he'd opened the window and hung me out of the window. No Michael Jackson so, style. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah, but I was upside down, not held under the arm. So, you know... So that, in the, and, and the reason why he did that is because I wouldn't stop crying because obviously he was slapping my mum about. So he hung me out of the window. She wanted to leave. So that was kind of like the clause for, for her or for him to kind of get my mum so she didn't leave. Um, and then he pulled me back in. But I can remember that. Were you scared? Well, I guess so, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So were you on eggshells after, after that then? There was a few situations through that, you know, that wasn't just like the only thing. And I, I mean, after when he pulled me back in, he cut up all the the uh, the sofa and that with the Stanley knife. 
and he in, instead of obviously looking he didn't do my mum but he, he cut up all the sofas and that with the Stanley knife I just went on a mad one um, so when that had happened he'd gone I think he'd gone to the bookies so my mum basically got all the stuff together and then took us to my grandparents house which where that's where we stayed for for a few months after that um obviously my granddad would have like wanted that and not wanted him being with my mum because he didn't like him anyway um he had a nickname of scotty which i grew up with for most of my life do you know what i mean <coughs> excuse me um so i think about for about six months i think it were we was with my grandparents and then my mum ended up getting back with my dad um and at this time my uncle was in the army and he'd been in Belfast and that, and he'd been for a bad time. He's, a few of his pals got blown up on a street. Uh, he lost half his hand for it and that. And it was originally, he was the one that was supposed to be checking this dustbin out. Um, but they was all like, no, no, Kempi, we'll go and do it, blah, blah, blah. But then he'd step back and they kind of continued with the patrol and the bin just blew up. So he, he lived in, he lived with that for the rest of his life until he passed away a couple of years ago. But he, um, Back in the day, it used to be the fact like all neighbours, we knew each other um, and you'd have each other's landline phone numbers and stuff and you keep an eye out for each other, etc. And my next door neighbour had heard that a baby was crying in the house most of the day, um, which she thought was unusual. So she tried to contact somebody, they, she couldn't get hold of them and then she contacted my uncle um, so my uncle came round at night. I think it must have been about, I don't know, about nine, ten o'clock at night. He couldn't get any response at the door. So he's booted my door off and he's gone round the house, obviously looking to see where my parents were, but they weren't there. And he's come up the stairs and I was in the back bedroom in the pitch black on the floor where I'd been for probably about 12 hours. Oh, so where what happened were my mum in my mum's defense you know she left me in the care of my dad thinking that my dad was looking after me while she was out doing her errands or whatever she was doing working but he didn't he he like disappeared left me on my own so then my uncle went to find where my mum were dragged her back by her hair and then sat there and waited for my dad to come back and then beat him up in my house for leaving me yeah did you have siblings not at that time, no. no. I'm the eldest. Well, I am the eldest now, but then I didn't have no, no brothers or sisters or anything, no. So what were you like going into school then? I was a troubled kid at school. Hated school. I've always hated school. Ever since I've went, I was I was a little bit of a bully as a, as a child, even as a toddler. I think even nurseries and stuff, I'd pick on kids. and It's what I grew up with. It's what I saw. So I didn't think any different with it. And, you know, I wouldn't share anything. So, you know, like toys and stuff like that, I wouldn't share. I'd be taking it all off of people or I'd be pulling boys' or girls' hairs and stuff. You know, I was a bit of a terror as a kid. But then they broke up with each other. So when they broke up, um, my mum got with... Uh, my uncle, where he'd come back from the army, he had uh, one of his colleagues that he was in the army with, Was he, he was in, in Holland. And he'd came back with my uncle, which my mum ended up meeting this guy. And uh, we'd moved again like at this point, because I've moved quite a lot in my life. And um, she went out shopping. And I must have... Uh, I, I blame myself because I say oh, I must have been a really irritating kid. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So I must have been a really, really irritating kid. So that, like she's gone out and we had this big pond in our back garden and this guy's decided to put me in the dustbin 
wheel me towards the pond and then turn the, the dustbin over. So the minute that I open the flap of the bin, I'm falling in the pond. So literally, to potentially, I'm going to drown, you know? So, you know, luckily my next door neighbor again saw that this had happened and then my mum had come back and I was still at the edge of the pond in the dustbin crying because this geezer's put me in a dustbin. How old were you? Uh, I think about five, four or five years old, yeah. So, yeah, that was a bit of a nightmare. Um, and then, the saying that, after that had happened, about three months later, the next door neighbor that had done that burgled my house. So, yeah. Yeah, not at all, no. Wow. So yeah, a bit shocking. Did you in school did you find that you're interested in anything though? Um fighting. <laughs> Sport then? <laughs> not really, not not at first. Um no, not at first. Sport didn't come into it at first for me. Um it was mainly just causing trouble, answering back a lot. Um, and hanging around with the wrong people. I've always hung around with the wrong people, as you can tell. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I've, it's always like, yeah, it's always been the wrong people. And you know what it's like when you're a kid and you've got your parents telling you, you can't hang around with this person, you can't hang around with that person, you're going to hang around with that person. And when I was, when I was about eight or nine, I there was a we had a a car lot it was was like a Toyota and there was all these cars all over you know the car lots and that and uh, me and this lad Scottish family that I used to hang around with they we went and scratched up brand new cars literally scratched them up but then on the same day we were sat on a wall throwing conkers at cars going by so literally ruining cars that are driving past us as well that was the first ever time that the police took me home the first ever time and that's where it started from there really with my behavior how did they catch you so i got chased down by the person out of toyota so they grabbed hold of me and uh, me and my friend but my friend managed to get away his parents and that wouldn't have cared anyway because it's like no offense to them to the family and that but they didn't really that was their family do you know what i mean they was used to that my family weren't <laughs> so I, yeah, literally, that my parents had to pay for the paint and you know the respraying of the cars and that. And back in back in the nineties, early nineties, that's a lot of money, you know. So what was the conversation they had with you over that, like um, hands? Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was never no conversations growing up. It was always beatings, you know, uh, quite heavy beatings as well. So you know, quite heavy beatings. Mum not so bad because by this time my mum had got with um, my stepdad at this time, and he was a, he was a bully guy. Um, yeah, didn't take no no crap, and he, he'd punish me for stuff. So you've got this chaotic life as a teenager. Then are you just living day by day? You're not planning. You know what is what I'm going to do when I grow up. That kind of thing. To be fair. Like, I, it was chaotic, but so like my family was a musical family, so my parents was in a in a in a band, so they used to travel around doing the circuits and that, um, you know, singing, and they they did this, they had this glam rock band called Glitz, and they yeah, so they used to take off like Sweet Gary Glitter back in it, obviously Gary Glitter now don't oh, mention shit. it, but you know, but they used to have uh, that 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 back in the day it was the seventies glam rock, you know. Um, 
so they used to go out and do the circuits on that. So at them times, obviously because they're evening times, we're not allowed in the pubs with them. So we was getting plotted off to like different babysitters here and there. So it'd either be my grandparents' house or it'd be my uncle's house. So they was very rarely at home. But when I was nine years old, I that so we was regularly going to an uncle's house. Me, and my brother, my brother and sister are here now, and they're not that old. And we was regularly going to my um, uncle's house. And at this time, he was having some problems and his wife had left him. He was smoking a lot of weed and drinking a lot of alcohol. And I'd always looked up to my uncles. There was always good scrappers in that. Like everyone, we had a good name for ourselves as a family, you know, like no one would really bother our family where we come from. And it turned, like it, that, that was the first time when I was about nine that I, I smoked weed for the first time, introduced by my uncle. And alcohol, which obviously you're going to be thinking, whoa, you no, know, I can do that. Like, yeah, but I'm going to go there all the time then if I can do that, you know, because you know, who's going to let you do that? So I felt free. And that's when abuse started with him. So I was sexually abused oh my oh, God. by him. Yeah. And I, now when I look at it, how it happened. So the feeding of drugs and alcohol was the manipulation of you know, getting me off my face for this to happen. Grooming. Yeah. Yeah. I've got to stop here because we've got a police requirement on a, on the channel um, that you, I have to ask you if you waive your anonymity because of what you've just said. You've basically just said this happened to you. And yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've, okay, I've, I've, speak about, I've spoken about it before. Yeah, it's no drama. Right, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. So what happened? So I was raped and abused for, for about three years. Three years? Yeah. How did um, you get get it to stop? How did it stop? It stopped when he got caught when they found out he was abusing the next door neighbor's child. Oh. oh my God. Yeah. But the thing were, even though it was happening, and I knew it was going to happen every time I went there, because my brother and sister was coming with me, if I wouldn't have gone there, he could have done it to them. Oh, so he's so. Oh, horrible. Yeah. What were your grandparents like? Um... My grandparents was really good. I, I preferred to be at my grandparents. If I had an opportunity, that's where I'd be. So my granddad was like one of them loving granddads. Always made sure I had a water bottle, hot water bottle in my bed ready for when I go to bed at night. He used to moan at me for closing the curtains. But the thing where we used to have this big bloody street light outside the window and it used to just shine through all night. So I'd be like, please, you know, let me close the curtain. He'd be like, and he'd close the curtain in the end. But he'd wake me up every single, uh, like, let's say it was a Saturday night on a Sunday morning. He'd have my bowl of porridge ready on the floor, Wurzel gummage on the TV. <laughs> then that was my day, you know, and, and, you know, a bit of pocket money at the end of the day. But I couldn't, I didn't go there that much because they can't have all three of us. So it was, you know, we'd have to go to my uncle's. And was that their son? Your uncle was their son, so it's from that side of the family. My uncle, yeah, was my granddad and grandma's kid, yeah. My my mum's brother. So when he got busted then, what kind of a shockwave did that send through the family? Yeah. So when he got, yeah, that was big. When when it came out, like I'd come back from school. I'm 13, yeah? So I come back from school and my mum used to work for Royal Mail. And she used to do like the picking and packing and that. And she asked me to walk her to the bus stop and I walked her to the bus stop and she, she just came out of it randomly and obviously it threw me and I was thinking, wow, where's that came from? But obviously because he said to me all these years, 
you know, no one, because I was a proper liar. You know, like the boy cried wolf. You lie to me many times, no one's just going to believe what you say anymore. And that's how it worked for me, because I always just used to like blag and lie my way out of everything. Even if it was right there in front of me and I'm caught on camera, I still say it weren't me, you know? So when she asked me that question, I denied it. So she's like, has he ever done anything to you? And I was like, no. I was through by like, what? No, he hasn't done anything to me. She's like, you sure? And I'm like, yeah. So I had about a day to think about it. And the next day, I, I said, yeah, that he had. And then that's when the ball started rolling. How did it come about that they found out about the neighbor's kid? So what happened were, the next door neighbor, he was a bit older than me. He was about 15, 16, but he'd been doing it for a couple of years previous. So what this kid was doing, I never liked the prick anyway. I thought he was a right weirdo. But what he did, <clears throat> he had a girlfriend as well. And what he was doing, he was, he was going around my uncle's house with this girl. They was having a smoke. They was having a drink. But he was getting my uncle to let them share the bed all together. So this obviously played on my uncle's mind because he was mentally unstable anyway. So he's then obviously got a, a bit of jealousy towards it. He didn't like what was going on. He must have felt manipulated himself. And then this one day he was drunk and stoned and went and handed himself into the police. Oh, I was not expecting that. Mm-hmm. Mm. And that's how it started. So within that time of him handing himself in the, into the police, the police had come around the house. They found uh, 37 black bags full with homegrown cannabis because he used to do it in his shed. And that's where all the weed was coming from. Um, and then, yeah, they, they locked him up. So when they locked him up, obviously I went to the police station and did all my stuff, like like basically what we're doing now, sat in front of cameras and being asked sort of like sick questions of what's happened and me going into detail of what Jesus. what he did for all that time. Which obviously, looking at me, I'm a, I'm a kid, I'm a boy, you know. Did they so, give you any therapy or anything like that? No, nah, no, nah. nothing. No, nah. no. Oh my god, that must nah. have been so difficult. Yeah, because once it was done, it was that was it. It was not really discussed after that. And there was a couple of people in the family that didn't believe it. So, you know, we're battling against that as well. I mean, come on, really? Am I going to lie about something like that? Even sitting like down today, why would I do that? Like, you so know? did that make you want to take drugs to self-medicate for the trauma of that No, shit? it made me want to beat people up. <laughs> yeah, I was very angry. Mm. I was being bullied at school by this, by this kid for mm. ages. Just doing little stupid things to me, like pulling me here, banging me in the arm and stuff like that. And... um yeah, I, I, I bashed him up really bad at school, which was a really out of character for me. And I lost quite a lot of friends from doing it because they didn't think that I was like that. And yeah, it took about six teachers to get him off me. So it like created a rage. Yeah, big time. Yeah. 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 I hated everyone, even my parents. Well, what happened, what happened when you left school? Uh, I didn't finish school. Mm. So I finished, I got expelled from school when I was 14. And what happened where I was in a science lesson and we, we, was, we had these Bunsen burners and these mm. little test tubes and they had like bits of water in, bit of acid. We do the mixing stuff and all that. And um, I squirted acid on someone. <gasps> Accidentally, I didn't do it on purpose. Oh, right. I thought it was the water because I was doing a little bit of a trick and I've kind of put my arm behind me and pressed that squeezy thing that you squeeze it up with. I don't know what they're called. Um, pipette. Yeah. So I yeah. squeezed it up and then I've squirted it all up, all up the back of the shirt. And the shirt started going yellow and started like gradually, yeah, gradually burning, yeah. So that was obviously a no-go, that one, wasn't it? So Did it yeah. get to his skin? Yeah. 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 So I was instantly expelled from school. So what did you do after that? Stayed at home and looked after my brother and sister. 
So my parents worked. So whilst I was looking after my brother and sister, I was obviously causing chaos still anyway. So I was like nicking my dad's car when he was out at work and they're obviously at school. So I'm cruising around the streets in, in my dad's car, trying to park it back and marking it with bricks. So I, you knew like where he's left it, it's in the same space, but then me not thinking actually I've just used half the petrol. <laughs> so, you know, the so he can, can tell, he can, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you can obviously tell that it's gone, but the thing were, what happened were I had this geezer and he'll know who he is, Aaron Williams. So what happened were he was trying to terrorize me quite a lot as well. So I seen him one day and I tried to run him over. So I, I literally drove at him in, in, in the car. But then uh, that day he went to my house, knocked on the door and told my dad that I tried to run him over in the car. So I was caught anyway. You didn't get him? Nearly. <laughs> I nearly got him. Yeah. Bit of a shame, really. He's a bit of a scumbag, but you know, <laughs> but yeah, nearly got him. But I got grassed up for that. And obviously another beating. So were the police not involved? Nah. No. 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 Lucky. Did you have any stabilizing influences in your life? Did you have a girlfriend or anything at that time? Or? Nah, I weren't interested in all that. Mm. I, I had a bit of a mess around as a kid as you do with girls and stuff, but never anything really serious because I had a lot of stuff going on for me. And at that point, about when I was about 14, I was given behavioral therapy because I had a bit of a stutter. And um, I had some behavioral therapy and that that I had that for about... I think about a couple of months. We didn't do nothing. I didn't really care. They just had me in this room, just drawing pictures and stuff. And like, I'm not a bloody five year old. You know what I mean? <laughs> I need to be talking about this stuff that's been going on. You know? But when you look at it back then in the nineties and stuff, you slip through the net. You know, like like my mental health services now. There's quite a lot of services out there to help you now. Back then there was nothing. Like literally nothing. So all of us from back then in them times, we've just literally slipped through the net and we're off key. So and now we're obviously trying to help others now knowing what we've been through and what we couldn't get now we know you can get it and this is where you need to go so you know other people don't have to go through what we've been through yeah with a forgotten generation i tell people yeah definitely yeah. yeah so did your parents pay for the therapy or it was free free yeah who recommended that the doctor ain't got a clue no ain't got a clue no i just give the lady loads of shit to be fair yeah she she i weren't the right um patient for her but <laughs> so it weren't good i was a really angry kid really really angry kid but then at that point i, I was hanging around with a lot of bad people Gangs. at that point yeah yeah oh we, we well no family it's how we it was just like family there was just friends outside and a lot of people on the outside of that do say gangs it wasn't like no uh, postcode this or yeah we're ng blah blah blah. It was it's not it weren't like that. We was just a load of kids that grew up together and we was just loyal and did a lot of stuff with each other. So we was we was but we were being really antisocial and terrorizing the community quite a lot, and I mean quite a lot, like even to the point of terrorizing my own family. So yeah, how so? booting my own doors off, throwing eggs at my house, just no respect. But to be fair, I didn't really care. Because the stuff that I'd been through, it was just like, who cares, you know? Yeah, they, I was never allowed to do anything anyway. So I used to have to either run away to go and do what I had to do or just be an absolute arsehole. Wow. So when was your next brushing with the law? Around that time. So what happened was, well, so back in the day, we used to, like, when um, they used to have, like, the TN hats, used to, they, they came out years ago, right? So we, we, we used to run through our Nottingham City Centre, running past people, taking their hats off their head and just running. <laughs> and we'd have a new TN hat, right? Um, and what happened? We, me and this kid, we followed this boy. Um, 
and we basically robbed him in the street. And what happened? We, I robbed him near these railings, and I bounced his head off the railings that much. He literally had pain imprints on his forehead from how much I banged his head off of the off the railings. Stole his baseball cap and stole his wallet, but the wallet only had ten p in it, so there was no money anyway. And I got the do- the police r- come through my door at five o'clock the next morning and did me for a robbery and a fray. And I was only young, 14, 15 nearly, when I got that. So that was my first proper brush with the police. And how did they catch you? Witness. Witness. Yeah. And the kid found out who I were. Wow. Yeah. What was the charge on that one? It was robbery and a fray. Robbery and a fray. Yeah. Robbery yeah. and a fray. And I got um, community service in there. They had to pay compensation, £100, I think it were. So I did community uh, community service, but what happened was my my because I was getting in so much trouble, my mum and dad bought a pub in Sheffield, and they they we literally upped and left and went to Sheffield into this pub, <coughs> and again you know I've moved to another area now and now I've got a different accent to everybody else. They've got like a Yorkshire accent and I've got a Northern accent. Don't mix. So I was getting terrorised for my accent. So I was scrapping again. So it's I couldn't get away from the fighting. So I'd, I'd it, yeah, it was an, it was a bit of a nightmare. I'm not going to lie, but within that time, from the 13 up to about 15, I was doing a lot of boxing. So I got involved in boxing as a kid just to try and vent the anger. And I had this really really good coach, and he kind of got me out off the streets. He, he let me do it for free at some points, but I was nicking a load of money off my mum as well to pay for it without him realizing, because I was never allowed to do anything. And if I told them that I was doing the boxing, they would have stopped it straight away. So when it come to me having a tournament, I had to have a parent consent form signed. They now have to be in contact to be doing this for me to be allowed. So he spoke to them and managed to speak to them and it allowed and then I won my first tournament. So they, they saw that I was really good. So when we moved to Sheffield, I moved to another boxing club called Croft House. So it's in Neverford. People know, know where it is. I was training there. And I carried on with my boxing. But at the same time, I was getting involved with naughty people as well at the same time and I weren't at school I was wagging it off I think six months straight I did at one point at uh, Myers Grove School in Sheffield and I, I, I had this little this little kid and he was only a younger kid but he had a load of the older kids that was really backing him up and he was he was literally terrorizing the life out of me until I smashed him in and then I had the whole school after me so obviously now I can't go back to the school because I've just smashed this kid in and he's got loads of respect from all these people. And I'm thinking, oh, I just can't get out of it. So I just didn't bother going back to school. And that was the last time I ever went to school. Surely your parents having a pub would gain you more friends, I thought. Well, I, to be <laughs> yeah. fair, I used to rob money out of my mum's bedside table. And uh, they used to have wads of cash. And if it was from like the bingo nights or they've done a big um, wedding venue in our, in the concert hall sides of it, they'd have these wedges of cash. And I'd go to school with about three or four hundred pound a day. So I'd be buying everyone's sweets, everyone's drinks and all that. I used to have all the new coats and stuff like back in the day when it was like Michigan or Chicago Bulls and that. I used to have all them coats. So I was like the rich boy of the school and I used to have the money. Um so I did treat quite a few people, but it's fake friends, isn't it? Like, it was only for the money, you know? And I never thought that they, my parents knew about that, but I found out a few years ago they knew. So it was, yeah, that came out. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so what happened? No, I won't tell you what happened on that one, actually, because like, that's, yeah, I won't, I won't mention that. But there was a reason why we had to move away from Sheffield. And it had <laughs> something the pub. To, yeah, we moved away from, from, from the pub because something happened to do with me having a friend by my house to do with a video. I'll let you use your own imagination. And it made it look like that I'd given this video out when it was actually stolen and I got the beating of my life. 
and the pure embarrassment from my family's side because it was handed to them by a friend of ours and then we left and came back. That's like porn shaming. Yeah. I can't tell you, mate. (laughs) (laughs) Because my mum's not here anymore and my stepdad's still alive. So if he was dead, I'd tell you everything. (laughs) What what was your next interaction with the cops? So the, the next interaction with the cops was... Uh, nicking a D-Reg Astra from the from just around the corner from my granddad's house at four o'clock in the morning when I climbed out my bedroom window. Yeah, and we chased got chased around our area and I, I couldn't even really drive them, but I still got away. Um, but then they still come to my house because, again, someone grasped me up and they told him it was me. So I got done for taking a vehicle without consent. This back in Nottingham? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I was back. Mm. So obviously I'm back to my roots, back with my friends. And then, <coughs> yeah, so then from then I was just, I didn't bother with the boxing anymore. I was more around the older lads, um, which, the you know, uh, knife crime started coming in and dealing drugs. So I was dealing heavy drugs, like big drugs. I didn't know what the drugs were at the time when I was selling it. You know, the word heroin and that was mentioned quite a lot, but I didn't know what it were or what it did. Um and when I, like, this was around about about 15-ish and my parents broke up and my stepdad was supposed to stay with me at the house and my mum went to my grandparents. And one day I got back and my dad had gone. So he took my brother and sister and the two dogs were still in my house, but my parents, like, they'd gone. There was no one there. And the next day I was thinking, well, this is a bit strange because, you know, there's no one here. Where is everybody? So I phoned up my granddad's house to see if he'd seen my mum. And she said, well, he, well, I shouldn't even name it really, but there you go. He he was supposed to be at the house. I was like, he's not here. So he's basically took my brother and sister and gone off to his parents. And I've just been left on my own in a house with two dogs, which I weren't weren't bothered. It didn't really affect me because that that was a party for me. So I could have all my pals around and have a big party in my house and, I did have that, and then an, an infamous old friend of mine set fire to my curtains in my living room, which made my living room go up in flames. So it was just pure chaos, literally pure chaos. So I went and moved in with my uncle from the army, and I took the two dogs, and I started working at a car wash, uh, earning a bit of cash. And um, that's where I, I met, I met. I won't say too much, but I met a, a very infamous family of Nottingham, um just via introduction you know washing their car and valeting their car but everybody knew who these people were you know um if anybody knows about infamous families of nottingham you only have to google it and it will come straight up with the only name and that's all i'll say you know so but that I, i from that happening i moved into a hostel and i was still serving up um and from when, when I moved into uh, what happened were I, I I was with a few friends um, where I where I where I come from my area I was just chilling with a few friends and I'd beat up this kid um, and when I beat this kid up his friend ran off and left him which is a known thing for people sometimes you know I always say to kids that I talk to you know you've got to be careful who you chill with you know because if something comes comes towards you you've got a bit of grief and that but you'd be surprised who sticks around and helps you out because you know a lot of people will run off and just leave you to it. And this is what happened to this kid. So I've beat him up. He weren't from our area. Um, and I, I gave him a, a bit of a beating. And then about three or four weeks later, 
I've had to, I was, I was smoking weed and I've gone to use a phone box on their part and I've phoned, phoned up the guy and there was no, he had no weed. So as I've come walking away, I've been shouted. So as I've been shouted, I've turned around and I've seen like six lads and I've kind of gone through the lads and the kid that I'd beat up was there. So it was either run, stay, I'm on my own. So I decided to stay. And then that's what I got beat up and then stabbed in my thigh. Wow. Had you used a knife at this point? Yeah. On someone? Okay. When you were on the receiving end then, can you go through it? What happened? To be fair, at the time, I didn't know I'd been stabbed. So because I was being beaten up at the same time, I was being kicked in the face. Like, you know, I was laying on the floor. I was getting stamped on and I managed to get up. And then I'd, I remember getting kicked in the face one last time, but then I felt a really sharp pain in my leg. Mm. And it was like a shooting electric shocky pain that went down to my feet. Like it went up. And as I've looked, there's a carving knife sticking out my leg. So the last thing that I remember from that point was grabbing hold of it. And then I, I must have collapsed. You didn't pull it out? No, if I did that, I'd have died. I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. The consultant said I'd have died. So these guys ran off, right? Yeah, they chipped, yeah. And what happened? I recovered and carried on with my life. No, did the ambulance turn up or anything? Oh, yeah, yeah. I was in hospital, yeah. Yeah, I was yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I had yeah. operation on that. Yeah, I've got a fat score there. Wow. Massive, yeah. I posted it on my Instagram a couple months ago for the first time, actually. So. Did you? Yeah, I've never really shared it. <laughs> it's just a war wound, you know? Like, it's just one of them ones. But I only do it out of just awareness for other kids. Like, this is the... I'm lucky I survived, do you know what I mean? At that time, then, were you thinking there's going to be payback for these guys? You wanted to get back at them. Mm. yeah but you can't elaborate I imagine mm. <laughs> so so you're recovering yeah from <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah what happens next <laughs> yeah so so my um, best mate we we had a, we have a lot of yardies in Nottingham for people who don't know yardies obviously Jamaicans and that and um and that we had a couple of good pals, but my my pal was my pal was hanging around with this lad that we didn't like. He was a bit. Of, he was even though we, it was a fine one for us to talk by. We we're saying he's trouble. We we're trouble ourselves, you know. But he was trouble. He was doing silly things that we're like you. We wasn't the cleverest of kids, but we we was clever, if you know what I mean. And he was putting himself in these stupid situations. And this kid was going out doing things to people that he shouldn't be doing things to. And word was getting around. So he was my best mate. And I said to him, you got, sorry. Breathe. Deep oh, breaths. God. Got me on yours and all, didn't it? Um, I said to him, you got to stay away from him because he couldn't get you in trouble. And, uh, And he didn't. Yeah. Oh. Fucking hell. So Yardies killed him. How? Stabbed him in the heart. And it was only over uh, a couple of hundred quid and a bit of weed. He had nothing to do with it. 
It was just, you know, like nowadays you see like YouTube and stuff and all these stupid wars that go on and like, I've seen you in a video with that guy and that guy and then they hunt him down. What, what are you killing him for, man? And that's, that's exactly what it was because he was seen with this person. It was, uh, done because of that, yeah. And they went straight for his chest. So it was a, but hell. we've all scattered. So we've scattered and like he's froze, like literally. <laughs> so, you're out on an evening, these guys approach. Yeah. How many of them? Two. Two. The car like literally screeched up at traffic lights. I filmed it just recently. It's the first time I've been back there for a long time. Oh. Yeah. And um <sighs> Yeah, they just pulled up. Pulled up, stabbed him in the heart. And yeah. So you'd scattered off, you said. Did you know what was going on at the time? Um Did no, you know not at stabbed? first. No, we didn't no. know. I didn't know that they they had a knife, and where we shouted to him to 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 run, he didn't run. He just stayed there. So what happened happened, and then as I've gone running back over, he was literally legs still over the wall. He was on the floor. The knife was hanging out of his chest. Was he still alive at this point? He was out on his way out. He was like blood coming out of his mouth. He was trying to talk. His eyes was rolling and. I was telling him to stop. That's rough. What was the aftermath of that? And did um, are you of the mindset that like this is so heavy, I need to back away from this, or is it just mayhem? It just made me worse, mm. literally. Yeah. And then the police get involved at some point. Police were not involved in this at all. Yeah, but nobody got no. awful. Mm. Yeah. Did you get in trouble with the police at some point after that? Yeah, yeah. I, I, my crimes got worse from there. Um, to what? To be to be fair, like from then on, where I'd gone into this hostel, I was serving up heroin. <laughs> And when I've gone in there, everyone was like sleeping out on the sofas and that in there. And I've I've asked some per I asked some geezer. His name was Dean, and I said to him, "What are they doing?" And he was like, "Oh, they're on heroin and that." And I was thinking, "What?" I was like, "Fucking hell, I served that. Like, is that what it does to you?" And he's like, "Have you never tried it?" I was like, "Nah." Well, all right then, let's have a go. So I I tried it, and then got hooked. Took away the pains instantly. Mm. Yeah. I was sick the first time, and usually, you know, people that I've spoken to, they've said that, you know, that when they were sick, they didn't like it, they stopped taking it. That's something with me. I was just puking and scratching. Yeah, well, for me, that had the opposite effect. I was sick and I liked it, mm. you know? So that was me from there on. So I just basically turned into a, a heroin addict that made my behavior 50 times worse than what I already were. So it was just uncontrollable from there, really. I was robbing everything possible and anyone I could find I was robbing, whether that would be with with a weapon or what, I was doing it. I didn't really care. So I was then, yeah, I got hooked on heroin uh, and battled that for a very long time of my life. Um, yeah, which made me lose a lot of people, um, but I got myself in debt. And what happened were, People that I was obviously serving it up with, ones that I grew up with, um, I got myself in a couple of hundred quid's debt and I got kidnapped um, in a car 
I got smacked with a shooter. I had a gun put in my mouth and I got took to this field, beaten and left naked in the field. And if it weren't for some lady or dog walker, like literally birthday suit, it saved my life, really. I don't even know who she were. <laughs> But yeah, she saved my life. I don't know. I don't. I don't know how I got out of it because I thought that was my last time. I literally pissed my pants. I'm not even gonna lie. If anyone gets pulled up like that, you, just, you know, it's not gonna. It's mentally like that's just like what the. F- I know what these people are capable of. I know them. And they know? were trying to kill you. Yeah, but when they put the gun in my mouth, that was the time that I, uh, it was serious because I just thought no one was even gonna know where I were. No one was even going to be missing me anyway because I wasn't in touch with my family because I'd literally gone off the rails and no one wanted me around, which weren't surprising because I wasn't nice to be around. So no one would have even noticed if I was dead or alive anyway. What is it like having a gun put to your head or in your mouth? It was scary. Literally, like I said, I pissed my pants because I yeah. thought that was my moment of see you later. But then when it, it you know... Yeah. But they were supposed to be my friends as well, you know? So it was just like, wow. Mates like that, human yeah. enemies, yeah. So I, I, obviously I was never, I never spoke to them again after that and they didn't get their money, you know. But from then on, that, you know, I was going to prison and like my prison sentence first came in. <coughs> so it was only like mine. What I was, because obviously I was having to go and pick up drugs. So I burgled my hostel um, on rent day. So the day that all the rent had to be due in, I went and took the door off and took all the rent. Mm. And then, you know, I kept that all for myself. Um, and then I was driving around all like non-insurance and, uh, you know, n- no tax on cars. But back in them days, it was producer, 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 you know. So I must have had about thousands of producers in my glove box going to score. But I, I, I could use two names and I had my mum's maiden name and I had my dad's name on my birth certificate. So legally, I was able to use the both. So I was getting nicked in Kemp, but then every time I got nicked again, I was using Scott, so I'd slip through the net. When I realised I could do that, I'd continue doing it. So I got, my first sentence I got was a four-month sentence for driving while disqualified time six. And I went to prison, uh, Glen Parva, for the first time, um, which was nerve-wracking. Because I could look after myself, you know, but obviously you're going into a world that you don't know, you know. So it was a bit, when you're on that, Sweatbox, looking out that black window with everyone at, <laughs> at the bus stop. You know they're carrying on with their lives, and you're going into somewhere like you're just in a really tight space with a really pl- hard plastic seat, and your ass is hurting. You can't even get comfortable, and you're thinking, "Where am I going?" You know. So yeah, straight into Glen Parva. The minute that I walked in there, the place was loud, like instantly, like really, really loud. And the 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 lads that was giving out like the socks and the boxer shorts at reception and that. And they're massive guys and they're only my age, but they're huge. And you're thinking, wow, like, is this the kind of people that are in air? Like, this life is not for me. Hope you're enjoying the podcast. Here's a quick word from our sponsor. Know what that sound means? It's more sales being racked up on Shopify. What do you think of Shopify, Jen? I absolutely love Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to sell, grow and make money for your business. Have you used it to boost your business? 100%, yeah. (laughs) So Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell from anywhere in the world. From creating your online shop in your own look. To finding new customers to scaling your burning idea. With no need for skills in design or coding. 
It's how every minute of every day, a new seller makes their first sale with Shopify and you can join them. So what is your favourite UK-based business that's found success with Shopify? It's got to be Gymshark. They have grown massively thanks to Shopify. Now it's your turn to start selling today with Shopify for free. And thanks to 24-7 support, Shopify is there to help you every step of the way. Sign up for a free 14-day trial at shopify.co.uk slash Sean, S-H-A-U-N. Go to shopify.co.uk slash Sean right now to grow your business today. So that's shopify.co.uk forward slash Sean, S-H-A-U-N. Thank you for supporting our sponsor. And I've like, obviously been booked in and that, and they've took me through and they've asked me loads of questions, asking me if I'm in gangs, and they've asked me all this other stuff. Have you ever been to prison before? Do you feel suicidal? Have you got any money? And then they give you like this little welcome pack with like a uh, backy in it. Some ma- back in the day, it was matches. I know um, they didn't have lighters then. So it was like a welcome pack with a little chew it sweet in it in the little pack. <laughs> And um, and I thought, wow, this is all right. This is like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I've got backy. I haven't had a fag for days, you know. <laughs> and uh, and then instantly, whilst I'm in this room, there's a scrap that's like torn out outside the room. Someone got whacked over there with a snooker cue, and I was thinking, Jesus Christ, like this is mental. So I thought, is this what this is going to be about? Because I, I, you know, you haven't got an option to run anywhere in jail. If you was a runner, you know, I've never been a runner and I, ne- I don't think I'll ever will be a runner, you know, but if you want that option to run, you ain't running anywhere, you know, so <laughs> yeah. you've got to have to like literally keep your nut down, like keep your nut down and don't get yourself in any trouble. But what happened were I liked it that much. I kept going back. How much that? Well, how old are you at this point? Just turned 18. Just a so you're in a young offenders. Yeah. Why? Why? Mm. I went back there not so long back and they've knocked it down. Oh. Yeah, quite weird. I'll get to that in a bit. But so you was addicted to the drugs, hardcore, you go into prison, are you still getting the fix in the prison or are you nah. going cold turkey? Prison time for me was clean time. Oh. So what happened with that back at the, they used to give you these uh, DF-118s, like uh, dihydrocodine tablets, and you do your, you do your cold turkey on them. And um, being in prison for me was like being outside anyway, because most of my friends was in jail. <laughs> so when I'd go onto this wing, it was uh, at Unit 15, and that was the induction wing. And if you're lucky, you can stay on there and you can smash your sentence on there. But if you're not lucky, you'll go to Unit 1 or 2 uh, with, when you're sentenced. If you're not sentenced, you go to 12 or 14. 12 was just literally Beirut. Like, it was ruthless on there. Um, luckily for me, I managed to pull off and get an open jail on that sentence because it was a minor sentence. And I was only in Glen Parver at that point for about three weeks. And I fit, excuse me, I finished my sentence up in um, Hatfield in Doncaster, where it's HMP Moreland's open prison now, but um, it was Hatfield back in the day. So when I had a touch of that, I was thinking, what, jail is nothing to be worried about. <laughs> so when I'd got out of there, I didn't care if I went back. In fact, actually, I, I was better off in jail. I was eating, yeah, rent-free, eating three big meals a day. You're getting paid to go and do education. I know it's only 50p a bloody session or something, but you're getting paid to do education, you know, just get out of your cell. What what have I got for me out here? And that's what kept happening from there. Um, Yeah. So you so you would rebuild in the jail and get out and go back to the drugs. Is that how it was working? Within within probably about six months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because what it is, like, w- there's no rehabilitation in jail. 
yeah and and how I, there's a lot of people that do say oh yeah rehabilitate people don't get rehabilitated in jail now the option for people to be rehabilitated in prison is solely down to you yeah, yeah. you have to rehabilitate yourself so you've got officers that are there to do their jobs, which is to open your door, talk to if you need a razor or a toilet roll and put you back in your door again. Simple. So the rehabilitation sides of it, if you need to learn education, your basic skills, you know, basic maths, English, etc., you go out and do that. If you want to do an art course or, or a college course or a drug awareness course or relapse prevention course, you go and do that. If you don't do none of this stuff, well, the chances of you being rehabilitated is pretty, pretty slim. But then everyone blames the prison service because there's no rehabilitation in the jail. They can't rehabilitate someone that don't want to be rehabilitated. Do you know what I mean? It's got to come from within. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And that was my motto on it. So even though I did go back to prison, it wasn't because I wasn't rehabilitated. It's because I had nothing outside for me. So I felt safer and better in there. So I'd go out and do offences on purpose. Did you have a cellmate? The first yeah, time? but I'd kick them out after time. How? Just put their stuff outside the door and <laughs> shut it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Fair. I've done that a few times. But you, sometimes you get stinky ones, you know? Oh, they're yeah, the worst. Yeah, they're the worst. So you yeah. get the ones that's like, also, you know, there's sweaty feet oh. and snorers and stuff like that. <laughs> so when you go out for your dinner, you make sure you get out quick. So you'll get your dinner, you'll walk back up with your dinner and get his stuff quickly out whilst he's still down in the queue, <laughs> slam the door, and then he comes back. He's like, oh, you put all my stuff outside. You ain't coming back in this cell. And I'm telling him, if the screw comes and says it, I'm going to tell him I'm going to hurt you. So then they can't put him in anyway. So if you say I'm going to harm him, if he comes back in this cell, they've got to safeguard him and they can't come back in the cell. Done that a few times. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What was your favourite job? My favourite job was engineering. Yeah, engineer, and I did like the kitchens because you could you could get a lot of food in the kitchens, you know. But I, I engineer, and I was trying to get a trade, and I was doing powder painting, so like all the screws, lockers, and that. So are they really nice and shiny? Well, I, I was doing the powder painting on them. So you put them through like a, a, a furnace, really hot furnace. So you you powder paint it, put it in. It's on like a, a conveyor belt, and it goes round in a circle, and then it goes through this. Uh, this furnace of like really hot heat, and then it comes back round, and then. It's it's nice and shiny. When it, you said your first sentence was a cat ditty, mm-hmm. were you allowed out for the day? No, not at that time because my sentence was because uh, I couldn't get the rottle because I was so early. Because it was only like a four month sentence, it was pointless. I wouldn't get a rottle. You have to be there. I think it's like a six month lie down. So you stay for you be there for six months. Obviously, then your risk factor then goes down. Then you can start applying for your rottles and get your day releases. I understand. So yeah, but I went back there a few times. Yeah? Yeah, what? to Hatfield, yeah. What's the second offence? Uh, the second offence was uh, burglary. Yeah. Talk us through that one. Uh, that was a drug dealer's house. And he snitched. How ironic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Crazy, that, isn't it? <laughs> but he, yeah. But he, the thing mm. was, he, we did this job for someone else, mm. uh, who, who I was talking about earlier. And um, I was the little guy that was sent to knock on the door of this guy. I don't even know who it is. So when I've knocked on the door, this guy has answered the door. Big, bold head, 18 stone, huge man. And I've like looked up at him and I was like, hello. <laughs> and he's literally grabbed me straight away. He knew what was happening. <laughs> and um, luckily my pals have come running around. And that was when the coshes started coming out back then. 
and they've literally coshed him up. Pop, 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 like, like, coshed him. His eye was hanging out and everything. Ooh. He got really bushed up. So as that's happening, I've climbed over him. So I've climbed over him to go into the house and he's got all these drugs and money and stuff on the table and that. And we're like, this is coming. But I was a really greedy guy. So I wanted his TV, his DVD player. <laughs> like I wanted everything. Kitchen so sink, yeah. I had to, yeah, seriously. So, but the, the guy was a messy guy. Like I've got OCD and his wires was all tangled up together behind the TV. <laughs> so I'm literally there trying to get all these bloody wires up from this TV, trying to undo it. And he's crumb crawling in like, <laughs> and I'm looking like, and I'm still I'm trying to hurry up because he's getting closer to me you know my pals I don't know where they've gone and, they, and I'm pulling these wires out and I've lent on the windowsill and it weren't that kind of a burglary to wear gloves you know we was doing a drug dealer so I've <laughs> lent onto the windowsill and like stamped him off of me and managed to get him off of me but the, I left a fingerprint on the windowsill oh. Oh. rocky mistake that innit definitely so yeah so that's that ended up getting me in in jail um, for a bit of a bigger sentence and um, that's when I went uh, I was in Glenparver again and then they put me back into Hatfield jail but it was just about being changed to Moreland's because Moreland's had got a life of jail a little bit further up it's got Lindome next door to it in I don't know if you know Doncaster and um, it's got two jails next to it uh, B-Cat, C-Cat and A-Cat and when I was in there I was working in the kitchens at the time and it was mixed wire and adults together. So adults are on their wing and wire are on their wing, but you work together, you gym together, like everything's together. And I'm someone that gels with older people. I've always been drawn to older people. And there was this one um, adult prisoner in there that was doing a lot with weed and steroids. So I started taking tablet steroids and the grounds of me taking the tablet steroids from him for free was if I was to sell weed. So I agreed and I thought, yeah, cool. I'll sell a bit of weed for you. And that's what I did. So I was serving up the weed in little shots. Back then it was like two pound phone cards. I used to have racks of them underneath my bed because we have like little slats under the bed because they're like squared slats going under the bed. And I used to make little imprints underneath so I could push the phone cards in the little slats. (laughs) So there was continually phone cards underneath my bed. (laughs) And um, so this kid come off road that I knew and I knew him very, very well and he wanted some weed and I gave him a couple of spliffs and he only owed me about four or six quid or something. It wasn't even anything major. And um, Canteen Day was coming when Aramak was coming. I think it was called Aramark. Aramark, it was Aramark. And they was, they was obviously coming and um, he didn't pay me my debt. So I'm kicking off and I'm shouting him out the window like, you fucking give me my money. Like, I need it tomorrow. I need the phone cards or I need like cookies or fucking chocolate biscuits or something, you know? Like, that's how who paid it. It was minor. And he grassed me up. What? So I'm in work. I've got 16 wraps in my pocket. I didn't know he grassed me up, obviously. So I've got like 16 wraps in my pocket and I've gone to work as usual. And then I've seen the security screws coming into the kitchen. And instantly I just had this gut feeling that they're coming for me. And they did. So they took me out the back into the area where we get changed into our kitchen gear and they wanted to search me. Well, obviously, I'm bang to rights. I know I've got all them wraps in my pocket. Previously, before this, what was your sentence? 18 months. Okay. So, yeah, they search you. They find this product all over you. Found found it over me and took me straight out on a bus to Moreland's, which was their clothes side. A-cap murderers. Oh. Like, Yeah. So at that point, I've heard so much about Moreland's, I weren't happy <laughs> that I was going to Moreland's. Like, literally, I was... No. No way. Like, I was panicking. And I've done jail, yeah? And I was panicking about going there. 
So the whole time I was on the bus there, it was only about a 10 minute journey and I was literally pantsing it. Like, oh my God, like I'm literally going into a ruthless jail. So I've walked in and I thought, mm, this don't seem too bad, really. Polite officers and all that. Hello, like, you know, what, what do you come? Oh, you, you silly. You've been caught with a bit of cannabis, have you? Like, how long you got left? I had about seven, eight months left. So it worked like I've only got like a week left or something. Like I've got, I've still got a bit of time. <clears throat> and another guy that was in our, it was a, a guy from Florida, Tampa Bay can't remember his name and he ended up being my pad mate <clears throat> so we've got onto the wing and literally it was there was no tvs back then um so it was literally read a book talk to your pad mate fight with your pad mate or just go to sleep that's how it were could get rid of him then <laughs> no but he was he, he was really annoying that one but he was fun to have around you know he was doing these weird things with towels and that like rubbing his afro and that and getting these little balls coming up on his head i just yeah, i thought he was a proper strange kid but it was it was all right it was quite fun yeah <laughs> So I've I've gone for a shower, and when I've gone for a shower, um, I'm showering away, and there's this geezer over there, and um, and I'm like, oh, wait, mate, yeah, got me Radox out, and like kept me boxer shorts. Like when I first ever went to jail, I made the rookie mistake by taking boxer shorts off when I was showering, and I got told off a few times by the inmates, like, don't take you don't take your fucking boxer shorts. I'm not really. I thought that's what you do when you have a shower. Yeah. But no, you keep your boxer shorts on. Do you know what I mean? Like, from then on, I keep my boxer shorts on, and. Um, so he's showering over there and I'm just cleaning myself and this massive black geezer came in into the shower and I've like looked round, he's looked at me, he's gone like that. I'm like, all right. And I've kind of like continued to shower and then the screams was just ear piercing screams and he's literally slicing this geezer up like in the shower. He must have been done about thirty times around his back, his legs, oh. like razor blade and that. Um and obviously, blood to water. They, it looks like there's a lot, but there would have Massacre. been a lot of blood anyway. But it was mm. really thin slices because it was razor blade. But the blood was everywhere. And as I've like turned around and I can see what's going on, he's like looked at me and was like, "Don't fucking say anything." And I'm like, no, "Obviously, mate." <laughs> no. like, do you know what I mean? I'm not going to say a word. It's like that ain't happening to me, bro. So I've literally got gone in myself. I didn't even dry myself properly. I even left my clothes in the shower. So I've gone back in the room and I'm like literally pure white. And the American kid was like, oh, what's up with you, man? Like, and I was like, you don't even want to know. Alarms go off. So they've screws have obviously found out what's happened. Um, so I told my pad mate that this guy's just come in and literally just served this guy right up. And uh, I didn't say anything, obviously. Um, and when I went down on the exercise the next day, him and all of his pals was over in the corner and they've all called me over yeah. and I flapped it thinking, oh no, they're going to think that I've grassed or something because it was nothing, I've never grassed in my life. And like, obviously if something like that happens, they, they don't know who I am, you know, but they knew that I didn't grass. And then after that, I had respect and I had a lot of stuff handed to me on a plate for the rest of my eight month sentence. So <laughs> it actually was quite good as a prison to be fair you know when when i had respect from a few people in there do you know what that beef had been over yeah you what what the beef was over the slashing do you know what it was what caused it apparently he was oh, oh. i've said the word okay. yeah what happened to him he got shipped off mm. medical his ass and all that was done yeah you know what it's like when you get your ass done you've oh. got to lay down for a long time you? so he was cut up really bad oh wow. yeah Really, really. Did bad. anyone else get done in during the time you would? Uh... Uh, no, my next door neighbour hung himself. Yeah, he was mentally unstable though. 
And he, you, he was shouting out all the time at night times, like literally always shouting out. And you'd be shouting out, shut up, you know, because mm. where there's no TVs, there's no one, nothing to keep you occupied at all. So that's all you can do in a YOI jail is shout out the windows at your next doors or downstairs or you're terrorizing that person or this person or that person, you know, because you've got to fill your time up until you're tired. So he was always continually shouting out and shouting out and pressing his bell and pressing like, you know, always constantly pressing his bell, which is annoying. Um, yeah. And he took his own life. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Strong. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's quite, it's quite deep. Yeah. But then, you know, continuing forward, my life is like, again, back on drugs. Yeah. On and off drugs. <laughs> And then I had a third strike charge where the third strike rule came in. And that had nothing to do with me either, but I took the rap on it. And it was the same judge that had given me another sentence. And this sentence was going to be a bigger one. So, so you come out, you're back on the drugs, living in a hostel. What happens? I was homeless now after okay. this. Yeah. So this is jumping into like the, the 20s because nothing really significant happened from there apart from just continual drug use. Mm. Um, and what happened were the, the, a commercial burglary was done. It was nothing to do with me. But when the police had come and raided the property that I was at, the credit cards were still there. <clears throat> so where the credit cards were still there, I'd held one of these credit cards, not knowing what the credit card were. So my fingerprint is now on the credit card and they're tying me to this burglary that had nothing to do with me. So I got remanded, but I was due to go to rehab um, and I lost my placement in rehab because I got remanded. So I was on remand for about 13 months. Um, and when I went for sentencing, luckily for me, my uh, solicitor and my drugs worker was still fighting for me to get another placement in rehabilitation. And that's what happened. So when I went for sentencing, I didn't get sentenced. I got, well, I did get sentenced, but I got sent to rehab. So they gave me a nine month placement in rehab with a three month order and a three year ASBO from Nottingham. So where I was not allowed to go to Nottingham for three years. Wow. That was that much of a problem. And if I was to break that, I'll get seven and a half years. How was rehab? Uh, so all the stuff that we discussed at the beginning, I had to talk about all that. Initially, I was angry and I was threatening everybody, staff included. And the staff that watch my stuff on social media that I'm, I still talk with, they'll know. Like I was very angry. Um, but I'm not going to say it was difficult at the beginning. But I think about two or three months into it, I went with the program. And I and I I completed. Well, I say I completed. That's a lie. I I basically got kicked out two weeks before I was due to complete because I was drinking alcohol. Oh. But I weren't in for alcohol. I was an errand addict. I didn't have an alcohol problem, you know. So I was coming out of myself more, and I was knowing who I were. So I was going out to the pubs and stuff. I was in the second part of the entry of it where you're free to come and go as you please. And I was sitting outside the pub having a drink summer on the beach. And someone from the house had fed me back to the stuff that I was out drinking and they kicked me out. So once they kicked me out, I'm homeless. Mm. And another lad that I knew was staying in a and b place. And I went and moved in with him, walked in on him smoking heroin and I relapsed again. Oh, no. Quite quickly. Yeah, so that had me for a, for a good couple of years, it had me. And then I managed to sort myself out and get a job as a carer. But my, my granddad 
was dying of Alzheimer's at the time. And um, I was helping looking after my granddad and helping my mum and my auntie. <clears throat> and I got a job as a carer um, with my criminal record, obviously quite extensive. And this police officer, it was up my ass constantly. I, I got, you know, when we was talking about like the, the things you get arrested for, something that was really petty. Yeah. Well, I was, I was in a co-op, right? And this is how much of a kleptomaniac I am. So I was, I was literally <laughs> in a co-op, had money. And I went and I bought I bought something in the co-op and I, at the corner of my eye, I spot a cheesecake in the freezer. And I thought, oh, I'll have a cheesecake. So I've gone to the freezer and I've got a cheesecake out and I've put it in my jacket. Don't know why I did it, because I had money. So as I've done that, there was mirrored windows and there was two coppers standing outside the window and saw me put it in my jacket. So as I've gone to walk out, the two coppers have now come walking towards me and they was like, what's in your jacket? And I'm like, please just let me pay for it. It's only one ninety nine. <laughs> And I got nicked for the cheesecake and went up to court for one ninety nine cheesecake. <laughs> but from doing that, the police now of East Sussex know that Cole Scott is in their area. So all my, obviously, my my stuff on their systems and stuff is pretty bad with my affiliations of this and that. And uh, I'd love to go into a lot of more detail of my affiliations, but I have to be really careful. But they saw everything about me on there and they're thinking, whoa, like, mm. we've got someone here now that's done some mad stuff. So they followed me around everywhere. So I got my driving license. They pulled me over. I drove up the road. They pulled me over again. They go to, I go to Sainsbury's to get some shopping. They pull me over. I've got no insurance. So I got a job as a carer. So as I've pulled up waiting for this double call, this police officer has pulled up just doing his routine checks and all that. And he saw me in my uniform. He was like, oh, have you got a job doing that then? I was like, well, I've changed. No, I've, I've turned my life around. And he was like, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah. Do you know, I couldn't believe it. And I was like, I have. I've changed. I'm telling you now I've changed. I've sorted myself out. Leopards never change their spot, but they fucking leopard ass, you know? <laughs> Leave me alone. So I've gone, he's gone to my care place and wanted to see my application form. Now, the care place made a bit of a boohoo. Because I've been in and out of prison and I've been homeless, my DBS took ages. So they couldn't pinpoint me, right? But they still took me on. So I worked there for over nine months with no DBS. That's annoying. That's their option, right? Mm. But I passed the POVA check, which is, which is another check, yeah? So I passed that one. The DBS didn't come back. They let, they employed me anyway, right? And I had a really good bloody job and I had a good list. I had a good load of old people on me. I loved every one of them. I'd walk in there in the morning. I'd be like, oh, you want to mash your... I was a right, lovable rogue, you know? Morning, I'd be like, oh, come on, wake you wake, seven o'clock in the morning and that. I'd just literally like write a fire, you know? Like they was loving it. So... I really enjoyed that job, but because of that, like he chased up the DBS for me, and he he it uh, got chased back, and then they sacked me a week later. Oh, yeah, man. I couldn't believe it. I was gutted. He had it out for you. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what? As mad as it sounds, now yeah, I'm actually friends with him now. Are you? <laughs> Crazy, that isn't it? Mad world. Yeah. So no offense, bro. Like yeah, but you know <laughs> he knows the story. Like I'm 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 good friends with him. He actually shook my hand a couple of years back, and he said, "Look, I'm sorry for being such a dickhead." And I was like, mate, apology accepted. Like, I'm a grown man. I take full responsibility for my shit. And I know you was doing your job. So, you know, so it's just one of them ones. But because of that, I ended up selling drugs again. Mm. I had a family to buy, p- provide for. Um, <coughs> and I started serving coke up, which then led back on to serving up heroin and crack cocaine. Were you back on it? Nah. No. Stayed away from it at that point. Yeah. What stopped you from going back on it? I think I don't know. To be fair, I'd I'd had enough at that point, and I and I was pretty comfortable. 
I had a job. I'd had. I'd, I'd got kids now. I'd, I'd had two. I had my eldest uh, son and daughter, who was like fourteen and uh, eleven. So I, I had children. Yeah, um, and I think that was the little bit of the wake up call for me. But then that that relationship broke down. So you know, when when that relationship broke down, I'd, I'd lost my job. It broke down for other different reasons. You know, it was, I'm not going to go into detail about it, but. Um, I've moved over to Hastings and I set up a, a cocaine line over there and uh, I was literally ruining the town to pieces with, with, with cocaine. And, uh, there was a, there was a kid that got into a bit of a scrap outside JT's and I, I literally had like bounces in my pocket and everything like with, with doing that. But it was, it, it, it was just something that I've drawn back into again. Do you know what I mean? How do you set up a cocaine line? Just get a phone and just go and buy yourself some stuff and just go in a pub and give your number out. We just interviewed a guy who was running one. I remember, mm. what was his name? The guy who was... Um, Which one? Wasn't it out to Ipswich or something as well, he said? Or that, that, that neck of the woods. Not, not, nothing to do with yours, but it was... Remember, he ended up in prison. Yeah, which one? He was running the county line. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. That's bad. Who was it? James. <laughs> Oh, did it? Yeah, 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 yeah. He was a lovely guy. <laughs> yeah, you can tell we've done three podcasts today. <laughs> but yeah, he's a another podcaster, I say. Yeah, um, yeah. So he he gave us the, the details and how he did all that. Yeah, it's not hard. Mm. It's quite easy to set up a line, really. It's thing was you got to get in with the locals. Yeah. All as it is, is you just. I'm not even going to say because I'm kind of glamorising it, so that's not what I'm trying to do. But I'm like, it's, it's you know, it's it's not hard. It was pretty easy for me to do. Yeah. I, and I mean, because I've had experience doing it before in the past, I knew what to do anyway, and I did know a few people already out out and about. And it, the the minute that word gets around from one person, two people's got it, three people, four point five people, and in the end, you've got a whole line. You know. So I did that for a while, but there was a kid that was getting into a scrap and I helped this kid in a scrap because his friends ran away and left him again. And, and I helped this kid out. He offered me a bit of work a week later, harder drugs. So I left the Coke thing to another friend of mine and said, well, you take that. I'm going to go and deal with this because it's more money. Um, and I started selling heroin and crack cocaine again on county lines. What took you to Hastings in the first place? I only lived next door to Hastings in Bexhill, which is a seven-mile drive. So Bexhill and Hastings are together, and I knew someone over in Hastings. So when I'd left Bexhill, I moved to Hastings, and that's where I started basically doing all my stuff. Mm. So I got back in crim- involved in criminality again. Okay. Yeah. Um, fighting, scrapping in the pubs. I, I lost Let- Yates' their late license for causing a 25-month pileup. Quite an achievement. Yeah, I was buzzing, yeah. I'm not going to lie. But do you know what it were? I was sticking up for a power mine that got grabbed up by this geezer. I worked, man. I think it was from Coventry, all these boys. They had a weird accent. And um, he, he grabbed up my power. And I was literally out on a dirty Thursday in a trackie. We were holding a, 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 a pint of Stella. So I've seen this happen. I've literally dropped the pint and gone over. Bang! You know, whacked him up. And then I've just been jumped on by loads of grown, bally men. So I'm having a go with all these all these blokes and I'm underneath them and my, my Albanian pal pulled me from underneath. He was like, you're crazy, like, you know, like, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, all right, mate, I'm going to go. As soon as he turned his back, I'm straight back in the middle of him again. Like, oh, small man syndrome. So I've literally gone off on these guys and um, the pals that I'd helped out was halfway down the road. <laughs> so there's like 20 man fighting outside Jaycees that's caused by him 
Um, and apparently he told this guy to go sock his mum and his mum had died about a week later. So oh. that's why he grabbed him up. Obviously, I'm not going to ask questions. You know what I mean? So, um, so yeah, so a friend that I was, um, a friend that I weren't even out with, basically I got put down on the floor in a choker hold and this, my, my other pal uppercutted the geezer and broke his wrist doing it. But got me got me out of the situation when the people that should have been helping me was down the road, um, yeah. And then I got that was basically putting a little bit of attention on me, really. All the scrapping that I was doing, I was making a name for myself, and undercover was watching me um, with the drugs. Oh dear. Yeah. So I uh, I got undercover doing me on the seafront. Like come and did my car, pulled me over in the car and smashed all my car and um and caught me with eighteen and four and a few a few hundred quid in cash and my mobile phone with about sixty, seventy grand's worth of messages. <laughs> One way to do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Damn Blackberry. Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> BB yeah. what was it? BB me. Yeah, BB. BB babies. Yeah. So yeah, so I got done again, intense supply. So How obviously long? I've, I've gone to jail free. Um, and that took me to Lewis. Um, I went to Lewis and Coldenly. Yeah. So then again, you know, I'm involved in there. Getting spice parcels, rule 39 letters that screws can't answer, uh, open by law. You've got so the lazy screws. Spice. Yeah, that's, you know, I, I had some guy, there was a guy in jail, Keith, his name was, well, rest in peace. He was really bad on the old spice and that. And um, he, he's 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 come out and he's looking all green. And I'm like, mate, you all right? Oh, I've had a bit of spice, mate. And I'm like, right, you go back in your cell and chill out because the screws are just going to bang you up. He was like, no, no, I'm going to tell the screws. I've got to tell the screws. I'm like, Don't tell the screws you've been smoking spice. So anyway, he went down and told the screws he'd been smoking spice. They've code frog marched him back up the stairs again and put him in his cell and locked him up. We could hear some weird noises coming from his cell and some squeaky noises. He's bouncing up and down on his bed. Gone on a mad phase in his head. He's literally slipped off of his bed, fell into the crack of his chair in his bed and broke his neck. Oh. Dead. What? So we're all shouting out of our door. We've told the screws. They've literally just come up to the cell and they're just looking at him through the flap. Just looking at him. And we're like, open the door. You need to help him. You need to help him. We've all got banged up. Bang up, bang up. Doors have gone. And the minute that they found out that the ambulance service was now on the wing, they opened the door and tried pulling him out of the cell. Bearing in mind, that was about 15 minutes. Wow. Yeah. Died, broke his neck. I don't think they would have been able to save his life anyway. But come on, man. You could have tried. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You could have tried, but they didn't. And that spice is crazy stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard. Yeah. You either go like a zombie or just, yeah, absolutely erotic. Yeah. yeah. So. So were the guards bringing it in at that place? Lewis, they, yeah, they're doing Lewis. Can't say who. Yeah. But nice. they're doing Lewis, yeah. Coldingly, they've just got lazy screws. A couple <laughs> of screws always moaning about gout and that, you know, like, so they can't be bothered to walk up the stairs and all this. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> just pure lazy screws. So we just get on with it. Like there's times we can be just sitting, sitting there on our beds on our mobile phones, just chilling, talking to whoever. The screws will just pop, like, pop their head in. As long as there's not ten of you in there, they don't care. So do you know? Do you know what I mean? They're not bothered whatsoever. Mm. So it's and then you're getting your parcels coming through. You can get like a Q or half ounce of spice in a Rule Thirty Nine letter, all padded in properly and nicely. You don't even get picked up. You go and pick up your letter from the office, and off you go upstairs, open it, and there's like four or five grand. Wow. In one envelope. No brainer. Did you have problems like collecting debts or did people try and rob you? <laughs> no. <laughs> so you had a lot of respect in there. 
I wouldn't say respect. Look, I'm not a big man, am I? You know, it's not about having respect, but I carry myself well. And and, and it's not the fact that like I, I I'm always with the right people. And when I was in Coldingley, I, I was friends with the lifers. Mm. I had a really good friend of mine. He was in he was in for a doorstep murder, and uh, his pal went QE on him and went evidence on him, and he did the shooting for his mate. So that just shows you about your pals. Do you know what I mean? So he was really good. Like I was in with some good people, so no one was coming anywhere near me. I had a couple of yardies as well. He was in for, for uh, triple murder. So like any I, notorious killers we might know. Nah, he's he's been extradited back to Jamaica now. Uh-huh. So you won't know if you. I'll, I'll send you the link over to his newspaper article. Yeah, please yeah. do. I'll send you both of them. Have you been incarcerated with anyone famous? The teacher, the the uh, the 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 kid, the girl from Eastbourne. Oh, do you remember that case? Yeah, yeah. He was teaching in the in the education department. What was he like? He was actually all right. He was he was actually all right. I'm not condoning his behaviour. But I look at his behaviour a little bit more deeply than what's going to be pressed out because I had, I've had a conversation with him and it's not as, as in-depth and intense as what they're making out. There's more to it than he's just a nonce, you know? Yeah, well, obviously, he, he was with a young girl and that's like unacceptable, very unprofessional for what he's done with the school, you know, student-wise and stuff like that. But he's he was a man that was a bit, I'd say, mentally unstable and fell in love with a really young girl. But the young girl was obviously also fell in love with him. They've entwined in a relationship with each other and that's how it had been. Obviously, it's wrong from his point of view, his age, his job and her, you can put it for the uh, on the other side of it that she could have been possibly manipulated or groomed into that fact. Who knows? But in the jail, when I'd seen him in the jail, he was literally like a broken shell Mm. of that's not the place where he should be. If you know, if you look at people, you can tell prisons for you or prisons not for you. Prisons not for him, Mm. basically. Do people try and attack him? No. If you do that, you're in serious trouble. I was on an IT course, right? And we call it PICTA. And it was an IT course. And I went and did this because I was crap on computers. If I was looking for the letter W, I'd be there for about 20 (laughs) minutes trying to find W. Now I'm like this. like. But I was sat on this row here and there was a row there. And I had an old bloke here in a wheelchair. I had this skinny, like, bald-headed geezer there. And I had a, a Canadian guy at the end. So this guy, this old bloke, was just continually laughing and he was really winding me up. So I had these headphones and I could listen to Adele, like music. Uh, what was it? Except for Fire to the Rain or something. I can't yeah. remember the tune. You know Not what I mean? Yeah. So I used to listen to that, but I could still hear him laughing. And I said to my pal, I was like, well, I'm, he's going to get a slap in a minute because he's really annoying me. Why is he so happy? And like, that sounds bad, doesn't it? And, um, and he was like, do you know what he's in for? I was like, what's he in for? And he was like, well, the reason why he's in that wheelchair is because his son found out that he's been nonsing five of his kids. Oh. I was like, what? And I was like, he was like, you can't do anything though. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you do anything. You're in bigger trouble than them. You, you, like, you're, you're, you've got to be really careful. They are very protected. So I was thinking, wow. So now I've literally been sitting face to face with this guy for about a week. And he's done that to five of his own kids. And he's in the wheelchair because his son found out and basically put him in a wheelchair. I'd have done more than that. Yeah. And the guy next to him was in for killing his mum. But he went through a lot of abuse as a child. And I think at this other point, he couldn't cope with it anymore and he killed her. And then the Canadian guy at the, at the other end was in for raping three, uh, three women in a park. 
Jesus Christ. Yeah. It's like Monster Mansion. It's the worst it dinner mad. party ever, And I was literally it? in yeah. a spot with that. Bearing in mind, I've got sexual abuse in my own history, you know? So listening to mm. stuff like that. Triggering. But it wasn't, it's, it wasn't worth the hassle of assaulting them because you'd have been in more trouble than what they are in currently. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Any more funny prison stories from that one? Um, funny prison stories. No, not really. No, you just got on with your time. I got on with my time on that. I, obviously, I was doing a little bit of wheeling and dealing and stuff. I had my own shop, so I was selling like cookies <laughs> and stuff. Like, yeah, and people ticking double bubbles and that. You're quite the entrepreneur. Well, you got to make some money somehow. Do you know what I mean? Because, like, you listen. You go into prison if you've got nothing in your in your private cash. You're literally peppered, and the, the the only and then you get your canteen sheet for at the end of the week when it's due, and it says like three pounds seventy. Three pounds seventy don't even hardly get you a shower gel, you know. Mm. So you have to try and do things to make your own your own ends meet because if you ain't got family to be sending you any money in, you need to make your own money. And like uh, you know, when when yeah, I I, I have to make my own money. You have to. Mm. There's no way around it at all. You can do your little education job. It's probably going to pull you in five, six quid a week. When it, when you could smoke tobacco in there, that's basically your canteen sheet gone. Just on that half ounce of tobacco that's got to last you that whole week, which it wouldn't. Now it's vapes. But you, where you, what are you going to eat? Your tuna and your, your, you know, your biscuits and your, your noodles and your coffee. And you need to make money. Side hustle, yeah. So I set myself up a shop. What was your favourite canteen items? Chocolate digestives, <laughs> tuna, noodles, and uh, uh, cookies. So the cookies, there was 59p a pack. And oh. you, you could buy 10 packs of them. You buy 10 packs of them and shop them 10 packs out, you've got 20 packs back. So now you've got double that. So then people are going to continue still keep coming to you to get it. Now you've got 30 packs, 40 packs, 50 packs. So you've literally got a box under your bed that's supposed to be for your bed sheets and your shoes filled with food. <laughs> so everyone's coming to your cell. So we had like a toaster and a kettle and that on the end of our wing. So we was like making like toast, tuna toast and all that. We was, we was hench. We was like <laughs> training hard at the gym. We've got people coming up and down our stairs. So every Saturday, we're, we're roaming down the stairs going to that cell, that cell, looking at like that, like you always, like, their bag's already ready to go. So then we're going upstairs, sorting it out. It's all going in my box and we're ready for next week. And then because people are constantly getting themselves in debt, they're back and back and back and back. Mm. And that's how it is. It's just, it continually goes round. So, yeah. Because it's once a week, isn't it? You can get your store. Once a week. So, by the time store day is like almost the everyone's desperate and need to just get anything and then they'll pay you back double. Oh, fair. Yeah. yeah. Did you have a cellmate at this point? A cellmate? No, this single bang up. You got you got rid of him? Yeah. No, it was just a single bang up anyway. I prefer it. I'm good with my own company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've spent a lot of time in jail and I, like my own company is, I, I enjoy my own company. Mentally, I can do with it pretty well. To be fair, quite comfortable. Like it's not well, nice living yeah. in the room that's a toilet, basically, with another person shitting and farting and wanking and everything else. Simply <laughs> <laughs> put. They can crack on and wank all day. We'll have a competition. You know what I mean? Right. We take, to, take that to the shower. We used to have to put tissue up on the window because you get them little glass, like the glass windows there. If you ever, if you want to have a bash and all that, you just put, put a bit of tissue up on there. Like, you close your door too. And then if you'll hear the flap go when you're, you're halfway in between, you're like, You'd go quiet for a minute and then the clap, flap goes again. You're like, <laughs> and you just continue and you just crack on, you know? Like, it's so dirty, that, isn't it? Did you used to um, go out on dates? 
<laughs> what, in jail? Who with? In America, going on a date is when you go to shower with a picture of your bird in the plastic and you wrap Oh, no, no, that's roll, crazy yeah. stuff, that, oh. isn't it? Like, that's, that's yeah, a that's mental. That's a little bit it. too role-play, that for me. <laughs> <mate. role> <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that. Yeah, I'll leave that to you, mate. <laughs> we know what shit that one gets up that's to. The, that's the American etiquette. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> no, yeah but did you get yourself a girlfriend? Um, I had a female visiting me. Was yeah. it a female though? Yeah, yeah. Why? <laughs> no, I'm just asking. No, he's been in America, isn't he? <laughs> you know I mean? We don't we don't have that kind of thing in the UK. Well we probably do, but they're secret. <laughs> Did you have visitors? Oh, not that kind of visitors, no. No. But who would come visit you in your prison? Never really anybody. I weren't bothered about visitors to be fair. Phone calls was all I all I could because I had a mobile phone, so I would just kick back and I'd just text all night or I'd just be on my phone. That was enough for me. What about your missus and kids visit you? I, I, well, I wasn't with my missus and kids at that time. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I've been with my missus nine years. Mm. So I met my missus the day I got out of prison. She wasn't my missus then. She was my missus two months later. So the day you got released from this sentence. She picked me up. She was with a scummy kid. And I hope you're watching it because he's a knobhead. <laughs> But she was with some scummy kid. That he was my little runner, and um, and not that I groomed him or exploited him. He knew what he was doing. Do you know what I mean? He was making a bit of cash for himself because he was peppered. But he had he had her, so he come and picked me up from jail with her. He owed me a lot of money at the time. He's lucky he didn't get weighed in. I was still in a bad mindset then, and he was with her, and I thought, oh, she's a bit alright. <laughs> so I thought, cool. So I ended up. I got recalled back to jail. I was only out for 40, 48 hours or something. I was out 48 hours because I didn't go to the address that I was supposed to go to. And I lied to the address and they stitched me up for me. Oh, he's not come out. Oh, any? I was out the day before. So I tried to get out the day before. So 48 hours later, straight back to Lewis again for another month. Oh. So I went out long. And then within that time, they picked me up again. So then within this, he's then turned psycho, stabbed himself up, tried to stab me in the neck. And he did this in like, whilst he was like beating up, beating up his then missus, but my missus now. And I basically saved her from that. Um, and I'd saved her life one night um, and nearly ended my life from getting done in the neck. So he's then been pushed out. Like I'm there cleaning up all the blood on the floor in the, in the kitchen of her flat. And I think she saw a different side to me, like for someone to get down on their hands and knees and clean someone else's claret up off the floor after everything that's gone on. I stayed with her then for a couple of weeks. And then from then we've been together ever since. That is one hell of a love story. I don't think she'd agree with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, we've had Disney. our problems. Yeah, no, yeah. We've had our, we've had our problems like every relationship, you know, like and and it most most of it's caused by me, you know. I I've I've taken drugs and even though like with the heroin and stuff like that, I left that alone, but I was just I, I had some mental health problems, you know. And I was sniffing a lot of coke and uh, yeah, I just went off the rails and I I I, came, I had a liver disease that took really a massive effect on my life. And I, my mental health went through the roof and I was, um, self-medicating with, uh, diazepans from someone I knew sending me a thousand diazepan at a time and that and tramadols. I was eating them like smarties. I was in severe pain and I was doing chemotherapy. I had to do an injection once a week and I had to have three massive pills every day. It sent me literally off the rails and I did end up relapsing on heroin for about three months. But that was five years ago. I made a point of stopping. Social services got involved, obviously. And um, when you're getting told by somebody that you can no longer see your kids anymore, 
that's a little bit of a different story for me, you know. Like I, I didn't want that, and my boy, he he was besotted. So, so that wasn't the last time you were in prison. Yeah, that was the last time. That was, that was, yeah, when I got out after that recall from that from that sentence in 2013, I got out, and I've never been back since. But you know, I still was doing a little bit of silly things in between that, you know. But it was for five years ago was when I made that change to turn my life around. Um, and I decided to go and ask for help this time. And I went to a drug service and I, I asked for help. Um, and I attended a service, uh, a, a group, support group. What, like NA? Nah, not for me, mate. They're, they're not my cup of tea, them. It was, it was like a smart group. They're called smart. <clears throat> and, um, I, I did start to use this group, but I thought the group could be a little bit better. I'm always someone that thinks about some stuff. And I think of how I can make things better. I've got really bad OCD, he'll tell you. I go into real bad detail with everything, right? To the times, to how I'm going to do things. Like, <laughs> and yeah. that's how I am, right? I've been like it for, for, for years. And, um, and I was just thinking, oh, well, well, we could do it like this and we could put this together, that together, that. And I did it and that's what happened. So I ended up then running the support group I was using. And I volunteered for the service I, I, I got help from. And then I got a job with them. And then that's where my employment history started. Instead of being a criminal drug dealer, I'm now doing things professionally. And at that time, I was helping kids voluntarily um, with Sussex Police under the Restorative Justice Programme, um, which resulted in me working on the biggest early intervention programme in our area at that time um, for two years, working with kids, helping them get away from gangs, county lines and exploitation. So that put me on the ladder. Mm. So I was doing a lot of anti-knife crime work and going into schools and doing um, workshops with schools, uh, talking to kids, doing role plays with them and how they can remove themselves away from gangs without saying no. Um, how do you? Make up as many excuses as you can. The thing is with gangs and county lines, they're looking for vulnerable people, Yeah. And if they, like kids in care, for example, or the ones that are the continually outside the local McDonald's or in the pubs, if you've got a kid that, if you call a kid over or you're trying to interact with a child and they continually say to you, oh, sorry, I can't really talk at the moment. I need to go and walk the dog. My mum's phoning me. Or I can't really talk. I can't. My mum needs me back. I need to babysit for my sister. You're continually mentioning your family. So if you go missing, that's a little bit bait for you. So that kid's no good to you. So... That's why I say to them, it's so simple for you to get out of that without saying no, just make up an excuse because the more excuses you make, if you're going to go missing, that's too much trouble for them. They'll just move on to somebody else, which they're going to do anyway. And that's how I used to do it. And I got these kids coming up and it was kids that was quite surprised that was getting up because the police that was there was like, the kid that actually got up there has just been through that same scenario. Wow. And he's been through it without having to hold weed and stuff. And he was surprised that this kid got up. So from that kid now doing that role play within my workshop that I've done, he's now flourished and done really well at college and got himself a good job. So, you know, this stuff does actually work. And that's why I now do what I do. So that has then pushed me on to, you know, I helped 77 kids in the space of two years. Um... I then moved on and worked and ran a behavior unit in a secondary school. I had that unit wrapped and sorted out because I built up a massive rapport with kids within a couple of weeks, just because of the way that I am. From doing that, I then start with my, my lives to help other people 
on social media, on Instagram, doing talks with people for cannabis addiction, PTSD, people from the army, knife crime agencies, drug drug charities, mental health charities. And, I, and I'd started doing this through lockdown. And because obviously lockdown, people need people to talk to. And I think yeah. having face-to-face interaction with people instead of uh, not being able to see people because they're not allowed out, it's really like, it's good for their well-being. So I did that and I gave people a platform to talk on my Instagram. And that started me off. So I then decided from there, all this stuff that I'm doing with kids and all the stuff to do with knife crime, why don't I film it and make something out of it for other people to see so they've got a memory for themselves, yeah? So I put a lot of money into it. I don't get nothing, none of this back. It's my, uh, the only thing I get back from it is like, I, 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 I get the enjoyment out of seeing people do this stuff. That's my enjoyment out of it. It's not about the money for me. And it got me to go out and meet some people like, you know, mums that have lost their children to knife crime. I did one recently in Manchester. He only passed away in September. But I did a film, I filmed with her for the whole day. I filmed her doing a march through Manchester in Mero's name, Mero, rest in peace. Um, yeah, and now we're friends. And there's other people in Essex, Liam Taylor's grandparents. So there's, there's a Ricky, there's so many people I've been in contact from this, from doing the stuff that I do on knife crime. And I have had people say to me, like, like with the, the clout chasing, like we were saying, oh, look, clout chasing and clickbaiting. Like, I, mm. I don't understand where on hell I'm clout chasing or clickbaiting on anything because these people's stories ain't about me. They're about them, them and their child and the, the, the loss that they're having to go through because someone's made that decision to use a knife and take their kid's life. Yeah, well, I've done a couple of bits of filming on my own life, but I'm doing that for a reason because then when kids look at my story of my prison journey, my abuse, the stuff to do with me as a kid, that might help a young person to want to reach out, to know that they're not the only person that's actually gone through that. And then they can reach out to me, you know? They can message me on my Instagram and say, I've seen your stuff on YouTube. I'm actually going through it. We've actually had one kid as well, didn't we? We had one kid as well. Reach out just from us yeah. doing a live. A kid from London, yeah. What did he say? Still talk to him now to this day. Yeah? Yeah. About this stuff about adoption, bit like a bit. I can't, I can't say too much because yeah, yeah, he's a bit not. young. It's not fair, but it's proof in the pudding that we do get people actually contacting us and we're doing things properly. I've spent about four grand in the last like four months on stuff that I do, and I've just recently, with that, set up my own project called Project Youth, where I'm gonna go out. I'm going out supporting kids, schools filmings, one-to-ones, all via a project, which I've got a sponsor for that's going to be putting money into my project so I can go out and do all this stuff basically for free in a way. Because the money that the price list that I've put within my stuff, that comes back into the project and straight back out. So it gets my travel in and et cetera, et cetera. And I've just had my first booking for a school in Manchester for June. Oh, congrats. So, <laughs> and that is all via Instagram. Yeah. So Social media is a powerful platform. Yeah. So everything that we're doing is, is, is a positive thing. Myself and Paul and like obviously with Jamie, like we're, we're all like, and Wendy, our pal Wendy as well. We're all like a really, really good team. We're all on the same message and we're, we all care exactly the same. And what we want to do is trying to, trying to save kids' lives, raise the awareness, raise awareness for the parents, show these kids that, that life that I've just been discussing all throughout this podcast, it's not a life to have. Because the only thing that you're going to get from that is death or prison. Yeah. That's it. And if you get prison, the people that you've been doing that stuff with are not going to be there to write you a letter or come and visit you. 
you're left and forgotten. And I was just having that same conversation with a pal of mine that's just got out of Swellside to receive cat. And he, he said exactly the same thing. He said, you know what? Throughout my whole sentence that I've been in jail, you and another person are the only one, two people that have stayed in contact with me throughout the whole sentence. The rest of everybody else that said that they was going to be in contact. And when I phone them, they don't answer the phone. They know it's him calling. And this is my point. Yeah, it's, it's just about being aware and knowing who you've got around you. And this is why, like, the people that I now surround myself with, I know we're tight and we're loyal. We've got a lot of time for each other and we'll do anything to help and do what we can. And that's what we're doing. You sound ridiculously busy. Very. What do you do? <laughs> what do you do to relax? Um, Speak with Paul on FaceTime every day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you should see what I've just seen then. Yeah. <laughs> when we did. No, it, it was like that, to be fair. He didn't even do it with his fist, did he? <laughs> <laughs> um, so relaxing-wise, so to be fair, I've got a day job as well. I'm a senior support worker for uh, alcohol addiction. So, oh, wow. Yeah, so I support vulnerable adults as well for my day job. Um, and I do that five days a week. So my spare time, really, sometimes at the weekends, I do get time off. So I'll spend time with the family and we'll go to the park and stuff like that. And or I'll I'll do some digging that my missus has wanted me to do for three years and I've not done it. <laughs> but, you know, so, yeah, there there is some chill time. I don't really get much chill time, but it's not to the point where it it drains me out, you know, like where it mentally makes me unwell for not having that. I'm quite comfortable with the life I've got. I'm, I'm I'm happy with the life I've got and the way that it's going and the stuff that I'm doing and how time or how much time I have for myself, I'm happy with. Mm. So I wouldn't change anything at all. Um, yeah, all good. Would you say you're the happiest you've ever been in your life? Yeah. 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 I would do, yeah. Because I've been in some bad places. Yeah. And I think that's why now I've managed to succeed in doing, I've, I've been five years clean. Yeah. I've not taken a drug in five years. Not even at booze. Nothing. Oh yeah, even alcohol once every couple of months or something. And even that, I don't even finish the whole can, you know, like or the bottle, whatever I'm drinking. If I go for a roast on a Sunday, once in a blue moon, I'll have a pint with it, and I can't drink it all anyway. I don't really. I'm not bothered. I've grew up with alcoholics most of my life. Like my mum passed away two years ago. She was an alcoholic, and that's how I've been. And this is my point where I know that I am happy and I'm stable because I've had three deaths in the last three years. Um, I've had my uncle die. Who out in my in the army? He died of TB. <clears throat> my mum died of a of a heart attack randomly from me talking to her the day before. The next day, I had a phone call. She's been found dead in bed. Oh, um, and my father in law um, went to hospital because of a toothache, and he had three days to live with terminal cancer. So then he passed away. So that was three deaths in the space of three years that I'd had. Usually, my answer would for that would be, "How am I going to deal with that?" Drugs. Because I can't cope with them feelings, you know. But because I'm now comfortable with my feelings and I'm comfortable being able to speak if I've got any problems, that's what I've done. I mean, I haven't grieved for my mum, I'm not going to lie. Like, I haven't. But there's four stages of grief. Mm. Um, and I, and I, well, I could add five stages to it, really. There's four, but there could be five. And I've just, I've just put it to, like, um, I'm, I don't realise it's happened yet, mm. if you know what I mean. Because you have your anger and, you know, like, so there's, there's there's stages to it. But I haven't had time to grieve for my mum. I've been really, really busy. But there'll be a day that will come that I'll, that I'll grieve. But I'll do it in the right way and I'll be around the right people. Yes. And I'll be safe. Yeah. Uh, 
So how can the people watching this help you then in your mission or support you or follow you or contact you? Spread the message. Just keep spreading our messages. Everything that we're doing on social media at the moment, we're getting a lot of interaction with it. You know, a lot of traction with both mine and Paul's um, stuff. I mean, obviously, Paul does his YouTube with his podcasting and that as well. But with our Instagrams, like, we do get regular messages and we have regular people wanting to come on and do lives. We have people that share our stories and share our posts, etc. So just continuing to do that. And sticking with our program and everyone else's problem. It should be everybody's problem, not just ours with this knife crime thing. It's everybody's issue. It's a whole community as a whole. So it's all of us stick together, keep spreading the message, even just helping one kid. That's one kid that you, you, you wouldn't have helped if you didn't do anything about it, you know? Exactly. So just, just keep continuing to do that. So all of Carl's links will be in the description box below this video, as will Paul Stansby's. So please support the important work and give us a hug. Yes. Bloody hell, what a, what a mind-blowing. Oh. Well, stop your boot room, man. Yeah. Good grief, well done. Yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you. Oh, you're wicked. This podcast is sponsored by Gadfly Press. We are proud to announce the publication of Britain's number one art forger, Max Brandert, The Life of a Cheeky Faker. And from the back cover blurb, Max the Forger is an artist and gentleman whose colourful lifestyle has spanned over 70 years. He has lived under the strict regime of Bernardo's children's homes, been an elephant handler in the circus, lived rough, busked his way from Brighton to Bombay, sold his fakes up and down the country, dined with dukes, socialised with celebrities, associated with gangsters, served time in prison, and donated tens of thousands to charity. And through it all, he has never stopped smiling and loving life and missing his mum. Quote from the book. Mr. Brandert, I do not see you as a malicious criminal, sighed the judge. But why, oh why, do you continue to use your God-given talent in this way? I just can't help myself, Your Honour. It's like an addiction, I grinned. Available worldwide on Amazon. Link in the description box below this video. Thank you for supporting our sponsor. Here at Boomer and Jen, we offer a wide range of organic or recycled clothing. We all know our planet is important. We only have this one. So it's vital that we all work together to slow down and reverse the changes to the environment. Whilst we all know that big industry are having a significant effect on pollution, here at Boomer and Gen, we believe that if we all make small changes, we can do our part. Fast fashion causes detrimental effects to the planet. Not only is nearly 20% of global wastewater produced by the fast fashion industry, but there is a considerable amount of fast fashion ending up in landfill. So let's move away from fast fashion items that are only worn once or twice and start wearing extremely comfortable, durable and environmentally friendly clothing and ethical jewellery. Boomer and Jen was founded in a quiet town in Devon in 2018. It has now gone from strength to strength as the world is becoming more aware of the current climate situation, helping our customers to buy sustainable, quality clothing. 
All of our products are fair trade and registered with the Global Organic Textiles Standard Association. Check us out on organiccottonclothing.co.uk.